Welcome to A Moment of Bach, where we take our favorite moments from the composer's vast musical output, just a minute's worth or even a few seconds, and show you why we think they are remarkable. We are your hosts, Christian and Alex Giebert. Today's moment is from the introduction of Cantata BWV 99, Was Gott tut, das ist Folgeton. Even if you're not a native German speaker, you probably just heard the singers sing the words that Christian just spoke. Was Gott tut, das ist vollgetan, which means what God does, that is good, basically. Uh, what God does is well done is another way of putting it. And the translation and English version of it that I'm familiar with, at least, is what God ordains is always good, is the name of that hymn. Hmm. What you just heard was my moment, which was a woodwind line. You heard a flute and oboe and also some violin, and then the choir entering after. I need to give you a little context on why that moment is my moment. For a very clear-cut example, we turn to a piece that we've talked about before on this podcast, Brandenburg Concerto Number no. 4, the second movement. First, we hear the entire ensemble. And then we hear just the concerto smaller group of instruments. Now the ensemble. And so then it switches off. So in an opening like this, we get a lovely instrumental introduction. Once it ends on its cadence, we would expect not a concerto. We would expect a choir in the way that Bach uses choirs in his choral movements the first movement of these cantatas. They sing, sometimes a chorale melody like they do here, and they act as the concerto. That is just how it is normally done. But instead of a choir entering, we do get a little concerto, consisting of a flute, oboe, and the first violin. For a few sweet little measures, they play, and the listener is almost tricked into thinking that this is actually going to be an instrumental piece with a small concerto section. Until, of course, the choir does enter on the theme words. Now that you've heard the introduction with the strings, and then the short little concerto moment with the flute and oboe and violin one, and then the entrance of the choir, you've now heard all the building blocks of this piece. Bach, as we've said many times, is nothing if not economical with his musical material. We first get a little da-da-da-da-da-da figure like that and this lovely lilting articulation from the strings. Sometimes it goes up. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Sometimes it goes da, 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 da. sometimes it goes down. We also get a lot of little figures that go bum ba ba bum ba ba bum ba ba bum. And when they happen, a lot of times each little set of short notes 
gets shifted down one pitch every time. We also get a rhythmic figure that we see a lot. It happens at the very beginning in the bass, and that is a bum, 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 bum. A short, long, long, long figure just like that. When the concerto enters, the violin one and oboe are giving us the da-da-da-da-da, and then the flute is giving us a faster, more busy line above. Then when the choir finally enters, the sopranos give us the cantus firmus, which is the melody. On was Gott tut, das ist vollgetan, on longer notes. Before the rest of the choir comes in, the sopranos get a few notes in. And let's listen to that again. This time, listen to the bass. As soon as the soprano enters, try and move your ear toward what the bass is doing. It's really cool. It's stepping down. Until reaching a cadence. There's those three notes again, that pulse, that short long, long, long on that cadence. And then here it's all being put together. This is this is only the 24th measure? Yeah, t- measure 24 of the piece. And Bach is already combining things in interesting ways using that m- musical material very economically. Take a listen here again to that. The choir is just ending that first phrase on the word Volgatan. There'll be a long note on tan, lovely sound. Then when they end, you'll hear the little concerto come back again. There's the little cute flute notes and oboe. But then it gets switched off between the concerto and the ripieno, which is like the main orchestra. And that's just the strings. Okay, so you can hear the winds versus the strings in this section here. Something really cool is about to happen. So here's strings. Here's winds. There's strings. Winds. Strings. Oboe. Flute. So what just happened there was the violin one had a bum, 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 bum. Then the oboe took that, then the flute took that, and it all just builds upon itself. Now here comes the answer of the melody here. The melody of this hymn has a sort of question and answer flavor to it, and here's the answer part. The notes are going down now. The soprano melody is starting up higher and then descending down to the note that started on. Now let's hear that again, but listen to the bass again, and guess what it's doing? Yeah, it's going down again, isn't it? This time in leaps of a third, but they're still pretty small. Then we're back to the material from the beginning. 
he's going to repeat this because those two lines of the melody are going to repeat again, albeit with different words. And then we're going to get into a B section. But mostly I just wanted to lay out what it's like to orient yourself based on the sections that are happening here, whether it's the piano or the little concerto with the winds or the choir, which by the way, I didn't even say this before, but the soprano is doubled by a horn to beef up that sound a little bit. So we've got a pretty nice sized orchestra here. It's a great combination of layers. As you said, Alex, it's, there's the concerto scheme going on here. There's clearly these solo wind instruments, the one flute and one oboe. They're supposed to be featured and they're accompanied by that first violin part. And then you've got the main group of strings, but then because it's a Bach cantata, the chorus, you have to get through the text as well. How do we think of that third group I guess it doesn't matter. They're, they're all so different, you know? And then, and then within that, you've got the soprano, which is like its own firm melody. Yeah. Because really with this kind of Bach chorale, the soprano is, is solid and simple, and the, the lower parts, bass, tenor, and alto vocal parts are decorations to that. So that has its own concerto dynamic. Right. It just doesn't really surprise me that much that Bach went for something this complicated because he's kind of known for complexity as a composer. I think we've proven that on this podcast. And whereas a lesser composer might have just been totally fine with something as simple as chordal string accompaniment to a chorale um, where you double the parts on the strings with the choir parts, something simple like that. Um, it's not even enough for Bach to complexify the string parts, but instead he needed to add this entire other concerto idea in there, in the different splitting of the, of the orchestra. It's exciting to me because it's just so forward-thinking in orchestration. Just you can see the gears working in his brain that most other composers of the era were not running in their brain, and composers wouldn't really stretch that sort of muscle until a few generations later, but Bach was already doing it. Yeah, it is interesting that if you think of like master orchestrators, orchestral color, you don't think of the Baroque era. Orchestration of instrument groups happens later, and you know, the orchestra can only be truly colorful when it gets bigger, but Bach was clearly very aware of balance of different instrumental groups as like mini choirs unto themselves. And I think that was kind of how he parsed it all out in his, in his mind. Right. Plus he, he, he was aware of how loud and soft all the instruments were. He was aware of their balance and that's different than it is today because he was working with the Baroque version of these instruments, the older version. And some of them were quite a bit softer than the instruments that we have today. Right. And it's all to the surface of the text, like we've said before. So to that end, we look at the form of this movement, which is, wouldn't you call this, Christian, a 
Corral Fantasia. I mean, it's also concerto movement because of what we have been talking about. But it also follows the chorale fantasia format of a chorale prelude, where you have the melody of the chorale split up throughout the entire thing. It happens once. It's not like it's a. It's not like it's a setting of five verses of the chorale. It's not that kind of thing. It's it's no. just one. Yeah, and in a sense, in the sense that this is the first movement of a typical Bach cantata, it is absolutely a chorale fantasia, and. Uh, What's crazy about it is not that it's a chorale fantasia, but that it's also a like an Italian concerto mixed yeah. in. It's like this weird, amazing hybrid blend of, of yeah. It's of got both. it's flavorful. Like it's it is yeah. You expect a chorale fantasia from Bach, but not with an Italian concerto thrown into it. And it's not it's not just like an afterthought. It's like part of the core of how the thing is constructed. You like we said before, how we keep switching off between the concerto and ripieno and treats that as a separate thing as the choir um now you just have these like three competing sections if you're counting the choir in there too it's just fantastic i mean there's not hardly anything else like it in the bach cantatas there are some bach double choir things with some motets and st matthew passion and some other things like that but that's not the same thing he's not playing with that the same way the term concerto grosso that we've discussed before in Brandenburg podcast episodes it means large concerto it usually means that aside from a background Ribriano group there is a group of concerto instruments that's coming to mind here because it kind of is like the flute and the oboe are in the concerto group and then the singers except the soprano are also in the concerto group right whereas the soprano is holding down the fort with the melody, which is what we expect from most of Bach's cantata first movements, choral fantasias. It's just so, it's the musical texture that's so, that's so interesting. Because like, you could go, if you're looking for orchestral color, we're talking about orchestration choices. If you're talking about orchestral color, you should you should explore you know works that were written in the 20th century or late 19th. But musical texture, the idea of how many active parts there are and what their role is, how they interplay with each other harmonically, in other words, horizontally, how they all mesh together. That is a particular thing that Bach was a master of in his time. Composers of his time had to be good at that because that's what counterpoint is, but he was exceptional. And I think that texture is where his orchestral and choral fantasias and stuff really shines. Yeah, and I chose this one in particular but there is another one, BWV 100, that has the same, basically the same opening movement, yeah. but with a different orchestration with more horns. It's also amazing, and texturally it does something different to it, and it's, it's pretty cool, but it also has that concerto flavor as well. So it's worth listening to both of those because they... I mean, they, they do have a similar vibe, and 
you'll hear right away that the, the musical material is like almost identical. But he was reusing, for BWV 100, he was reusing the stuff from this one, from BWV 99. Right. There's also a third one, I think. Right. Yeah, that's 98, right? Yeah. But this one, 99, is maybe my favorite of them. I mean, 100 is cool because he goes through the different stanzas of the hymn. Yeah, that's a chorale cantata, the, I think. Yeah, exactly. That's like a true chorale cantata, and he goes through all the stanzas of the hymn for in every movement. Mm-hmm. But I still do like the text of BWV 99, this one, a lot, especially in the third movement, which is a tenor aria with a pretty wicked flute solo. And in that one, speaking of what you talked about last week, Christian, in your episode, there's that, there's a poison thing in this one too, the German word gift. And it talks about, do not shudder the soul when the cup of suffering tastes bitter, because basically it's like God is not poisoning you with this. It's just suffering. You have to deal with it, okay? But it's not deadly poison. It may not taste sweet. You get the flute obligato line giving us this, like, shuddering thing. It's it's very cool. Yeah, there's there's a lot of double meaning going on within the instrumental line. As, As we say, meaning is hidden in the instrument or not even hidden meaning is given by Bach in the instrumental yeah that's where he puts it so there's the shuddering in the flute solo but there's also the fact that the flute is soft and sweet but it is the one doing the shuddering and so that matches the text perfectly because the sweetness is concealed Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah and I think Bach was always aware of of that one of the things that sets him apart from from his contemporaries is sensitivity and double meaning in text setting. Yeah. Just the end of these lines, speaking of the text setting, just the end of these lines, what God does, that is well done. And on that Volgeton, it's just that perfect triad there. And I mean, the idiom, of course, you're gonna, he's going to land on a one chord there, music theory-wise. He's not doing something special, but but listen to that chord. Volgeton and that long note and the way that chord actually kind of clashes with what's happening in the instrumental part which is going one five one if we're looking at the Hmm. functional analysis of it it actually clashes a little can you hear that it's like bum 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 that that short long 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 and on the second long it's the wrong note compared to the choir always a great moment when two groups have a completely legal but diverging harmonic path the one is a pedal tone or a series of pedal tones an entire pedal harmony and the other one is moving and this is technically allowed but it's just so interesting and crunchy and you don't play it in the continuo part either. I was creating a realization of the figured bass for this for a concert coming up. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, oh, well, I guess the figured bass is following what the violins are doing. This da 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 mm. And it is. And you need to play it that way. You can't just double the choir parts on this stuff. And that's 
why you can't do that because if you're being attentive to what's happening in the orchestration it won't work and something like this is actually pretty you have to be pretty finicky with how you realize the figured bass which means like how you basically play out the chords that the chord symbols are saying for you to do because it has to be it has to work you know but also has to not just completely double the or the instruments either I'm just kind of a sucker for this kind of thing in any of these Bach cantatas, the chorale cantatas especially, when there's some kind of busy accompaniment happening with a fast and festive instrumental introduction, and whether or not it has this particular very interesting to this cantata concerto thing in it, whether or not it has that, once I hear those comforting words, the chorale tune in the German language, the the hymn tune with the comforting words, on the longer notes, you know? And once those come in and then I hear that choir, it's just, it makes my day. And now, here is that moment from the beginning of the first movement of BWV 99, Was Gott tut, das ist wohlgetan. If this introduction to a musical moment has inspired you to hear the rest of this cantata, please see the link in the episode description. To hear our new episodes as we release them, find A Moment of Bach on your podcast app and subscribe to us. And listener, if you'd like to see a live performance of the cantata we just talked about, and of course, if you happen to be local to us here, we live in Southern California, and I will be conducting this very cantata, BWV99, this Sunday, if you are a faithful listener and are listening to this when it drops, <laughs> this Sunday, which is September 18th, 2022. I'll put a note in the show description that tells you where to go and when to be there. So Christian, what moment of Bach are we looking at next week? We'll be taking our first look at one of the two-part inventions. Invention in A major, BWV 783. Until next time, enjoy those moments. <laughs>